Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, it's me, Kate Lister, just jumping in here to let you know that this episode is a tough listen. We have got descriptions on racism, on enslaved people, inhumane behaviour and historical language that today is rightly considered offensive. Who was Sarah Bartman? What do we know about her? In the 19th century, she was a woman that was exhibited across Europe as a sideshow. Images of her were printed on postcards that were widely sold. But why? Why was she there? Why did she draw crowds? Join me, Kate Lister, on today's episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Professor Robin Mitchell has dedicated much of her life and her energy to shining a light on the lives of historical black women and their experiences in France, broader Europe and in the aftermath of the Haitian Revolution. Her work and her commitment to this subject are absolutely unbelievable. And today we're lucky enough that she's here to tell the story of Sarah Bartman. From South Africa to London to Paris, from free woman to enslaved woman, to domestic servant to stage show freak, caught somewhere between sexualization and desexualization. It's hard to know who Sarah Bartman really was, but let's try and find out. I am so, I'm, I'm beyond excited. I'm deliriously happy to be here with, it's only Professor Robin Mitchell. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here. I'm trying to, you know, not fangirl all, all over you and try and keep my stuff together and to be professional, professional historian. Before I get into that, have you bought any more new shoes? I have bought several new shoes. French historian shoes <laughs> is all over the world now. People are now tagging me. It's hilarious. If you don't follow Robin on Twitter, go and do it because it's just not only is there amazing historical content, but there is amazing shoe content as well hashtag Always. french historian shoes most <laughs> most interesting thing about me oh that's not even true the first time that i i, don't, I didn't meet you i heard your voice i was doing a recording for matthew sweet in a london studio me fern riddell and you had pre-recorded your section and you were talking about sarah bartman who we're talking about today and it all just went very quiet and they played your clip your i think it was like 10 minutes of you talking 
And it was so powerful that me and Fern both got really teary listening to it. It was that amazing. And that was, it was like, I need to find out more about this. So I'm so pleased to have you here. Sarah Bartman is, she's extraordinary. So thank you so much for letting me get to talk Please. about her. I find her absolutely compelling. Tell us, I mean, there'll be people listening who know she is, there'll be people that have heard the name, and there'll be people that, that have never heard the name before. So who was Sarah Bartman? So that's a really good question. And I don't know if I have a definitive answer. Sarah was born, we think, sometime in the 1770s. And, you know, when we talk about Black women, when we talk about Black people in general in Europe, it's often she was maybe this, she was probably this, which helps us understand the complexity of slavery. And we think she was born in the 1770s. She was born and raised, we believe, into slavery. And she doesn't really appear on the historical record until about 1810, when her master's brother enters into some kind of agreement to bring her to London and to Paris. Where was she born? Do we know that? She was born in South Africa. Okay. We do know that. We know that she was most likely smuggled out of South Africa. Ordinarily, her master would have needed permission from the colonial government to remove her. And as far as we know, that didn't happen. Oh, wow. Okay. And so she's smuggled on this ship. She's the only woman on the ship. She, well, the court case that ultimately happens in London indicates, and Sarah apparently enter into an agreement. Whether Sarah was in a position to be able to enter into agreement is another question. But the agreement stated, apparently, that she would display herself, that she would get a certain amount of money to repatriate herself back to South Africa after two years. And she'll end up dying in So, Christ. So she yeah. was smuggled out of South Africa around the age of 30-ish as an enslaved woman. And you said there that she was signed a contract, which is just, okay, whatever. But when you said that she... Exactly. Yeah, right. When you said that she agreed to be exhibited, what to be shown, what does that mean? What Like, what was she brought to Europe to do? So part of it is that Bartman had enlarged fat pockets in her buttocks and her thighs, which she was very short. It was sort of fascinating. When I finally saw her body cast in Paris, I was really struck by the fact that she was only about five feet, four inches tall. But because of her body proportions, they thought Europeans had never seen bodies like Sarah's and so that they could make money displaying her. Sarah for me is I don't even know how to say it. Sarah for me represents so much. You know, it was always important to me that I retain her personhood, that anybody reading about her or talking about her always understood that she was a human being. But I think what is so interesting for Europeans, particularly in London and in Paris, is what she represents, what her body represents. So looking at her... Some folks thought she was the antithesis of a white European female body, right? And so that you could look at her body and juxtapose it against British women and then French women's bodies and then see something inherent about the Black female body. And that's ultimately what she becomes for, for the British and for the French, is in many ways she becomes a canvas to write on. It's it's horrifying when you look at sort of what they do to her body versus who she is as a human being. And 
you and I react with horror and the people handling her. And literally at one point she is transferred to an animal trainer, a handler. Jesus. But part of what happens is this idea is for them, she isn't a human being. She is this thing to be sort of manipulated and to read themselves against. Right. So when we talk about sex and we talk about scandal, part of the scandal for me is how she's treated. The scandal for Brit and the French are her body is a scandal. That she's just a scandal. And it, there's so much going on there that it's really hard to get a hold on what the awfulness of it. I mean, just like the fact that an African woman, a South African woman is just that they would just think that they could just exhibit her because she was so strange and weird. And it's just like that alone blows my mind just by doing nothing other than being born in her body. Than being, exactly. And that's the thing, is when you look at the the playbills, when you look at the the sheets that are put up around Piccadilly saying, just in from Africa to be exhibited, you've never seen anything like this. This is your moment to see the ultimate othered body. And you think to yourself, okay, wait, what? But that's exactly what what is so interesting about her for these people, is that you will see something unlike anything you've ever seen. And so in some ways, it is the empire come home. Was Sarah her name? Was Was that her real name, Sarah Bartman? Was that? No. No, she comes in. I don't know what her real name was. She she was named Sachi Bartman, which is little Sarah. And so she comes in with the moniker of Sachi Bachman, and then that will be how people refer to her. Although as soon as she hits the shores, the bills and the advertisements list her as the hot and taut Venus. And then she will go by that name, Sachi Bachman or the hot and taut Venus until 1811, when after a court case comes to determine whether she's being held against her will, she will be baptized in Manchester. And Manchester. her name appears for the first time as Sarah Bartman, yes. Oh my, I, I, I did not know that. Before we get to the court case, and that's baptized, right? Yeah, she's baptized. And I think she's baptized as a result of the court case. I think there, that the publicity that it engenders is really controversial. And so all of a sudden, she's baptized. And she will actually carry her baptismal certificate with her for the rest of her life. Oh. Before we get to the court case, that's really important. What is a hot and tot? Can you explain a little bit about what that term is for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, it's yeah. a pejorative. It's hard to talk about Bartman under the guise of how she's viewed by Europe because Europe refers to her as the Venus hot and tot. It is, in many ways, it's a way of reducing her down to... A thing. And Venus as well, although... Well, Venus is supposed to be sort of amusing. We're all supposed to get looking at her and saying, of course, she's the antithesis of a Venus. There's no way anyone would find her attractive, right? But she came from the Khoisan people, and they have always been, by the Europeans, pejoratively called Hottentots. You know, I... After I was doing some research and I researched Sarah's life and, and what is meant by hot and tot, and I watched Mary Poppins again, and there is that scene on the rooftops where, and I'd never, ever picked it up before, 
where all the chimney sweeps have got black face because they're all covered in soot. And then there's the guy who keeps like shooting things, the the general guy. And he looks at them and he goes, it's hot and tots. And then he tries to shoot them. And he's not only is that a pejorative racial term, he thinks they're hot and tots because they've got blackface. And I had never, ever clocked that before. You know, it's terrible. Once you hear it, it's hard to unhear yeah. it. One of my favorite films used to be The Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. And I can't watch it anymore. Right, I'm going to brace myself for this. Okay, go on. Yeah, there's a moment with the cowardly lion when he's singing about courage. Yeah. And he's, who puts the ape in apricot, he's going through all of these things. And he says, what makes the hot and tot so hot? Oh. And I remember I have watched that movie a hundred times. And all of a sudden I was sitting there and mm. I guess I wasn't paying attention. And I heard what makes the hot and tot so hot. And I thought oh my God, I can never watch this film again. And now I can't. <laughs> um, when you see it... See? Thank it, you. It's, You're welcome. No, thank you. That's It's important that... Because, you know, I think the fact that you don't see it is actually really important because it's so much just like the cultural background that you don't even register that that's what's happening in these things. And that that's a legacy that... Exactly. You can throw those things out there and it's supposed to be like, it's a throwaway line. Oh, what really, well, there's lots that interest me about Sarah, but in particular, when you're talking about historical attitudes to enslaved people and to people of colour and all those things, is you are, you occasionally hear voices saying things like, well, it was just different back then, attitudes were different back then, and they were, but there was resistance to what was happening to Sarah. There were people that said, this isn't acceptable. It wasn't universally Everyone thought that this was great. No, absolutely not. And at a certain point, Bartman is being displayed in a cage. People are allowed to pay a small fee and they bring her out. They're allowed to come into a room. It's it's so fascinating to me when you sort of think about it, is that these people are able to come into a room and see her in a cage, right? So everything is set up that you're about to see some kind of animal or you're about to see somebody or something that is dangerous, that has to be caged. And so the idea is she's behind a sheet. Her trainer brings her out, you know, listen to the language I'm using. Her trainer brings her out. And apparently what could happen is you could poke at her to make sure that she was real, that they hadn't padded her bottom or they hadn't done anything to her body, but she was in sort of a skin tight outfit so that you could see the contours of her body. And then they encouraged you to poke and prod at her to prove that what you were seeing was an actual specimen versus a sort of a contrived freak. And they were prodding her buttocks and her genitals. They were. That was supposed to be the most incredible and amazing thing about her. Exactly. And it? as a result of that, there are a number of abolitionists who decide to bring a court case. And the court case was to determine whether she was being held against her will. So for three days, she is, I don't want to say examined because it's not really in that way, but they try to ascertain whether she knew what was she was getting into when she came to England if she was being held against her will, if she was being taken care of. And so it's an interesting dynamic because you have these celebrated abolitionists saying Bartman is not in a position to be able to say whether she 
could consent to coming because in fact, she's an enslaved woman, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, her handlers are saying, no, we have this document. I've never been able to find this document. And that says, no, no, she, she has said, I want to do this, that I know what I'm doing. And so if you read the documents from the court case, it's really quite fascinating because it says things like, she said she's happy. She says this is what she wants to do. There's nothing in there that says, I decided this is what I want to do. And so they say they examined her and determined, I don't know how they determined this, considering the fact that she spoke Dutch and there's really no indication on if she understood the questions that was being directed at her. But after three days, they determined that she is in fact her own agent and can continue being exploited. And then right after that, she's baptized. It's a really interesting dynamic. So I think part of this is trying to make her seem more civilized through her baptism. It's the injustice of it is is it's really staggering and like how an enslaved woman can be forcibly taken from her homeland, smuggled across. She went, might not even speak English. Apparently she signed a document and then she can be cross-examined. And am I right in thinking that the person who quote unquote owned her was in the room as she was being examined? Exactly. Like they're, as they were interrogating her? Exactly. So she's never in a position for someone to say, are you Okay. No. During her entire testimony, her master is, he's inches away from her. It's horrifying. It's, and, and what, where is she going to go? What is she going to do? Is it, who, I, I just blows my, my, my mind, the injustice of it. So she's this court case. Okay. And then apparently she's consenting. And then from what I can see, there's, she's still exhibited. Yes. But there seems to be a kind of a shift in and it's what happened to John Merrick as well, the elephant man, is it starts off as this kind of sideshow curiosity and then eventually doctors get involved and it's basically the same thing, but it's now medical touring. And that happens to Sarah. It's absolute. that's perfectly stated. When you think about it is after she is baptized in Manchester, something happens and I don't know what it is, but we think that she goes to Ireland for a minute. We're not absolutely sure. Okay. And she may actually travel throughout England a little bit. And then all of a sudden, she becomes connected with this animal trainer. And I don't know if she gets sold to him or what, but then he brings her to Paris. And so okay. if there's controversy with Bartman in England, a lot of that controversy is muted when she comes to Paris. She's sort of fully the hot and hot Venus, right? And so people still have things to say about it. There are editorials like there are in England saying, this is not okay. But she's embraced in France in a way that is, I think, different than England. I think the other thing that is different is she's going to die very quickly in France. There's a possibility wow. that she okay. had breast cancer. There's some indication that she was an alcoholic, I think she might have been self-medicating. She was deeply unhappy. I don't know how you could not be not unhappy. So she had medical issues. And so 
she's displayed in Paris and then either in December of 1815 or January in 1816, she dies. And so the French Surgeon General gets permission to have her body dissected. And so she enters into this different realm of both representation and spectacle, because now they're able to look at her body in a way that they weren't when she was alive. And she becomes a scientific oddity. And this is the kind of the high age of quack pseudoscience, theories of phrenology, and the idea that you can read a person's moral character on their body somehow. And we still see echoes of that today. If someone say, I thought his eyes look shifty or like that. Exactly. Kind of a, a legacy. And Sarah, unfortunately, she was appropriated by this particular branch of medical science, wasn't she? So she gets to Paris. She is displayed at the Palais Royal. So if you have enough money, you can see her sort of privately. There's a lot of scrutiny, a lot of fiction written about her. There are a series of letters purported to be from her talking about that happenings in Paris of the day. And one of the letters says, I'm happy to be here as I was bored in London you know, the Paris air suits kind women. And then she starts talking about how much more beautiful French women are than British women. Um, you know, they're absolutely absurd entries into these journals. Just they're hilarious and sort of maddening. Mm. But this idea, like in the Persian letters where she can, that this foreigner can talk about the happenings of the day. And so she's displayed in Paris and then Georges Cuvier, the naturalist, arranges to have her painted at the Jardin des Plantes, so at the Museum of Natural Sciences. And he says at the time that he wanted to see her genitalia and she wouldn't let him. And that they tried to entice her with like candies and money and that she wouldn't let him. And he's, he's sort of annoyed that she won't like give him access to her genitalia. Because Cuvier believes that he can learn something about Black women in general through this one Black body. And so after she dies, he sort of gleefully dissects her. Like he can't wait. You can hear it even in the pages of his autopsy. You can hear it and you can feel how excited he is to finally uncover whatever he thinks he's going to uncover. So he has her brain pickled, her genitalia you know, mounted literally on a board. And his autopsy is quite fascinating. Fascinating for me because he's unable to retain a scientific gaze. He says he found her face repelling, but that she had a really nice neck, that she had a wonderful speaking voice, but that she had a body like an orangutan. Like these interesting slippages happen that he can't contain himself within the bubble of scientific objectivity that he thinks he's in, mm. that you can hear the moments where he is hypersexualizing her at the same time he's trying to make her asexual, if that makes sense. Because that dichotomy, that seems to surround Sarah. Like on one hand, as you said, she was known as the hot and top Venus, which was supposed to be a joke. And she was supposed to be read as the antithesis of white European beauty and there's this effort to make her ugly and like look at her body is it so deformed but then 
she's also hypersexualized. Like when she was alive, she was exhibited in very, very tight, very, very revealing clothing. People were encouraged to pot and poke her genital region. And it's this strange, by being there, she suddenly creates a permission base for these Victorians who would never, ever behave like that ever to suddenly they're allowed to explore these things. But there's a real tension there between she's highly sexualized and also like supposed to be repugnant at the same time. You know, that's what I find really fascinating about the representations of her. You know, from the moment she hits Europe, the representations of her change often dramatically. Like if you look at the earlier representations of Bartman up until the moment that she dies, her body changes. And that's what I find so fascinating about looking at representation is that Stuart Hall says, once you represent something and put it out in the world, you lose control of that image. Right. And so if the public doesn't respond the way they're supposed to, you have to alter that image to help them. Right. And so Mm. it's fascinating to me that Bartman gets there and, you know, people that are drawing her, that that are representing her, represent her in a way that is seemingly closer to what she might have looked like. Right. And then you see over time, she becomes larger. She becomes darker. Mm. She becomes more masculine. They suddenly put pipes in her mouth. They suddenly start putting warrior stripes on her face. Right. And so to me, it became sort of clear that people were looking at these earlier representations and not reacting in the way that Europeans expected them to react that people were clearly looking at her and going, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure what's happening mm-hmm. here. But if you look at her body cast, even if you look at her face, I find her sort of exquisite to look at. And so clearly other people were too, because yeah. then her face changes, right? Then she starts behaving in ways that are more ape-like. So it's fascinating to me to watch how... She needs to change to get the reaction that the people representing her need. She's got to perform the colonial savage. It's not enough to just... Exactly. And that at no time can you look at her and have any kind of sexual reaction. At the same time, she's, like you said, she's this hypersexual body. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, it's hard not to read the autopsy report and all of the medical bullshit around this poor woman and not see it as sublimated sexual attraction. I mean, when he was looking at her genitals, like, what on earth did he think he was going to find? Well, what he thought he was going to find was the ultimate proof of the hypersexuality of the black woman. And what he says is, Mm. I found that. He said, her labia is larger than a European woman, which means she must want sex more. And if you think about how the characteristics that are assigned to her by him and the medical establishment here in this case, they're talking about the fact that her masculine characteristics are contributing to the fact that she'll have sex with anything and anybody, right? And so part of it is proving what he thinks he wants to prove, which is this is a hypersexual woman. And then he looks at her labia and he goes, aha, see, see, I told you. There was similar nonsense studies done in France, actually, at the same time on women that sold sex. Their clitorises were examined, like hundreds, in this effort to try and prove that sex workers' clitorises and their labia would be horrendously engorged because that meant that they were hypersexual. And you actually see in some of this early pseudoscientific nonsense, black women and sex women, their genitals are compared directly to one another. Yes. Yes. In an effort to prove something. And part of that is racializing sex workers. The fact is, it's like we can now prove that all black women are hypersexual. If we compare that to sex workers, what we're saying are sex workers are closer to being non-white bodies who are also Mm. hypersexual, right? So there's ways of sort of talking about race without really talking about race, And then linking that to sexuality in ways that are so disturbing and distasteful. But, you know, when you're looking at it, you go, oh, I see what you're doing. Right. Of course, they want it all the time, because, look, we see these black women who are hypersexual, who also clearly want it all the time. And then Cuvier takes her genitalia and sort of shows it. He invites people from all over Europe to come to his auditorium and sort of shows them her genitalia and says, see, I've proved it. It's horrifying. I went to the Museum of Natural Sciences when I was in Paris the last time, and his auditorium still exists. And Really? Yeah. And I think they use it for meetings and things now. It's a horrifying place. And I have a picture of myself somewhere just looking like I'm about to throw up. And I remember somebody said, oh, do you want to go in? And I said, yes. And I took one step in, in the door and I said, no. And I sort of backed wow. out and I thought, this place is haunted. And I felt it Mm. literally one step walking in. I thought, I don't want to be in this room. Something terrible happened in this room and Mm. I don't want to be in here. But it, you know, for him, it was like, oh, look what I found. I've made this, I've made this discovery. And it's so important for him to be able to share that throughout Europe. And you'd think that poor Sarah would have been through enough 
by this point, but it's not going to end, is it? Is She remains on display. Her body remains on display for years. Decades, actually. I mean, I don't, think, I don't think she comes off display f- <sighs> until the 70s, the 1970s, okay. I want to say. She's in the museum, the Musée de l'Homme, for a really, really long time. And it's interesting because I believe an event takes place where a man attacks a docent and his his rationale for attacking this docent is that his proximity to Bartman has inflamed him. And I think that's when they what? take her off display. It's it's repulsive. You know, it's really hard for me to not just be like insane with rage about Sarah Bartman's life because it just never ends. And then when the South Africans enter into the picture and say, you know, we need her back, like her, her soul isn't going to rest until her body is in the place of her birth. At one point the museum says, well, we can't find everything. So for a long time, they say her genitalia and her brain are sort of lost. They can't find her. And then in 2001, it heats up pretty good. And finally, they're able to put, literally put her back together. And so they, yeah, they transfer her to the South Af- African government, her brain, her genitalia, and her skeleton, and bring her back to South Africa. In 2001. Yeah, so France still wow. has the paintings that were done of her that Cuvier commissioned. Her baptismal certificate is still in France which I'm actually a little bit sorry about. And her body cast, they do a plaster body cast of her when she's dead as well. And I'm sad about the baptismal certificate because it it was folded and unfolded quite a bit. And apparently she carried it for the rest of her life. And so I don't mm. know, it seemed to me that it might've had some kind of meaning for her. And so I was sorry it wasn't yeah. repatriated yeah. with her, but the South African government did not want anything that sort of tied her to Europe. And it was it was Nelson Mandela, wasn't it, that brought her home, which is incredible. Yeah, and you know, there's a documentary about Bartman. It's it's not one of my favorite mm. things to look at, where literally the French government are trying to justify why they thought it was okay to keep her. And I show it in my classes, and it's quite fascinating to me to watch the rage build up in the room as they're sort of trying to justify what they did to her. They said, you know, it was the time. Things like that happened. And I thought things like that, yes, things like that happened. And there were people at the time saying, this is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. And it was still allowed to happen. And so even if you follow that line of reasoning, which I do not, the fact of the matter is, is that 2001, I mean, you know, rest with that for a minute, that for a long time, you know, her body, her genitalia, her brain just sat. And she was born in 1770. Exactly, because of her so-called importance to science. It's it's repugnant. It is repugnant. And it's very hard to clutch anything from this that isn't, as you say, rage-inducing. But before I let you go... Would you tell me a little bit about the first time you saw Sarah's body cast? Because I love listening to you talk about that. I love, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's really hard to talk about. You know, I went in 2004 to do 
my dissertation, France, and I don't think France is special here, but you know, when you show up at an archive, you're supposed to have credentials. You're supposed to have made an appointment. You're supposed to go through the, the steps of doing what you're supposed to do to prove that you're actually a serious scholar. And I just showed up at the Musée de l'Homme. I didn't have a letter. I didn't have a card. I didn't have anything. And I asked if I could see her. And I checked in at the front desk and I said, I'm here to see Sarah Bartman. And bless his heart, I still feel bad for this poor man. He sort of stared at me and then he called upstairs to say, you know, there's a crazy woman here who wants to see Sarah Bartman. And the most wonderful man came up, Philippe Menossier. And I said, I'm here to see Sarah Bartman. And he said, okay, which makes no sense at all. And I told him what I was working. I said, I was working on my dissertation and I was doing a chapter on Sarah Bartman. And he sort of gently took me to his office. And I had read in other books that people had asked to see Sarah Bartman's body cast and that, and I'm really grateful for this, that the museum had said no. And so he asked me, he said, would you like to see her? And I think something just turned off in my brain. You know, I'd been studying Sarah Bartman's life for a long, long time by that point. And I had assumed everything had been repatriated. So I didn't know everything was still back there. And he said, you know, we still have some things including her body cast. And he asked me if I wanted to see it. And I said, yes. And I remember thinking, I am so ill-equipped to write the story of Sarah Bartman. I don't know what I'm doing in France. I don't know what I'm doing in an archive. And they brought her body cast, her crate out. She's crated up. And there were, I still remember, there's 13 screws that keep her in this crate. And I remember as they started unscrewing them, they had a power drill. I remember just sort of looking around. I was in the back part of the museum. They had all these plaster casts. They had this line of death casts, death mask in the corner. And I started getting really hot and sweaty, thinking to myself, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Finally, the guy's like, yep, okay, we got it. And they sort of pulled on the crate and the crate didn't open. And I remember him saying, you know, mailed because they had forgotten one screw. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so they they took the last screw out and they pulled the front of it out. And the way she's in the crate is the front comes off and then you see her, you see her body cast and it's sort of wrapped in foam. And they pulled the crate out and I saw her and I just started to cry. And... Oh, Robin, don't you make me go. And I just remember oh. thinking, you know, this is probably the last thing her body touched that was attached to her. And he, uh, Mr. Minusia at the time, he was so kind. He said, would you like a moment alone with her? And I remember saying, yes, I really would. And, you know, for anybody who does archival work, you're not supposed to touch things. <laughs> and, I, you know, and it was hilarious because I remember sitting and I, I just held her hand um, oh and it was just the tiniest little hand you've ever seen. I mean, she was so tiny. And if you look at the representations of her, she's enormous in these representations. And I don't know in my mind, I thought she was going to be six feet tall. <laughs> and here's this like little five foot four plaster cast. And I, I remember putting my hand in hers 
and I had to sort of sanitize this for the book, but I remember looking at her and I said, you know, I'll try not to fuck this up. I'll try really hard. And I sort of got up and walked out of the room. But it it was almost like looking at this tiny little cast and thinking about all the humiliation and all the degradation sort of wrapped up in this cast that this crazy man had done so that he would have proof of her abnormality for me was profound. Like years later, I still can't talk about it without becoming emotional about it. I'm in floods of tears just listening to you describe it. I can't imagine what it must have been like. It's, it was incredible. And it was so nice because I would come back to the museum and I would just touch the crate and say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Um, I'm working. And so for me, it felt like there was a moment where you realize that the people that you write about existed, that they're real, right? And then all of the terrible things that I had learned about Bartman sort of came flooding at me in that moment in this body cast that is, I don't even think is real. I think he padded it to sort of suit his purposes, but that that this had touched her body in death mm. and that I was touching it, telling her that she had not been forgotten. No. No. And that I was going to try to tell her story in a very particular kind of way and that I was going to try not to fuck it up. And that was sort of the moment for me that I thought, okay, here we go. So I thought to myself, if the book comes out and I feel like she can rest a little bit, then I did okay. And I think I did okay. The book Venus Noir is incredible. And there's so much in it that's powerful, as you can see. And one of the things that really struck me is that in all the research that you did about Sarah, all her life, all the exploitation, all the pictures that were drawn of her, all the humiliating cartoons and nonsense, there was one word that you found that was said by her. Just one. One word. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cuvier in his autopsy reveals something I think quite stunning is he says, I kept trying to look under her covering that was covering her genitalia. I kept trying to see under it and she wouldn't let me. And I think that that contributes a little bit to his glee when she's dead and he can now look at her labia. And it was in doing the research that I realized that I wasn't going to find anything written in Sarah's hand. But what I did hear was probably the most important word I think in the book, which is the word no is that we see in that moment where she had almost no agency to control her body, to control her representation, to control her exploitation, that she looks at Cuvier and says, no. And that for that split second, he accepts the no. No. You know, when he says she wouldn't let me, I thought, it's the best ever that if you're gonna have a word for Sarah Bartman it's no no I won't let you have access right and when I realized that I thought there it is I don't need any other word from Sarah Bartman because what Sarah Bartman did was she looked at that man that horrible hideous repulsive man and she said no oh it's glorious it is you're glorious this door oh Robin Mitchell, thank you so much. You've, 
I, I, I'm, I'm just in awe of you and your work. If people want to find out more about you, Venus Noir is an amazing book about Sarah and about other women of colour in Paris at the time. But where can people find you on online to follow the work that you're doing? They can find me at Paris Noir on Twitter. And they can also follow the antics of my latest research on Suzanne Simone Baptiste, who is the wife of Haitian revolutionary Toussaint Louverture. And we're going to have you back to talk about her. But I'm always on Twitter. Oh, that... She is incredible. I've been doing a little bit of research, knowing that you were researching her. And we're going to have you back to talk about her. But... Just for now, Robin, you're, you're just incredible. I love talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thank you so much for letting me talk about Sarah Bartman. I always adore spending time in your company. I hope that you found this one interesting. And thank you so much to Robin Mitchell, who blows my mind every time I'm lucky enough to speak to her. If you like what you've heard, please, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Please don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In the next few weeks, we've got episodes on the scandal that rocked 19th century France, the history of BDSM, and don't miss out on all the previous episodes, the one on vasectomy is a belter, and so is the one on Tudor sex. So join me again betwixt the sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast includes music by Epidemic Sounds. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.